So um, we've uh, discussed many things as we've moved through this epistle of uh, Peter's. Uh, last, uh, in chapter 4, uh, the example of Christ to follow, uh, serving uh, for God's glory. And then in, in verse 12, he says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing had happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. There's um, a uh, movement within Christianity uh, that preaches comfort. It, it teaches that uh, you know we we should be accepted by the world, uh, that we should be worldly, so that so that uh, you know the worldly people will be glad to come in. Um, when the church growth movement started, um, they came uh, to Calvary Chapel. Uh, I ended up getting some of the literature. And uh, they had uh, put together a diagram. I don't remember all of the specifics, but in particular, they, they diagrammed the church saying, you know, that if you take the 100% of the people that are, are your church, uh, 80% of them um, are, uh, well, they, they worded it very cleverly, but they basically are very worldly. And that uh, inside the 100%, there's a 20% that are are godly. And, I, and again, I'm interpreting the way that they worded it uh, in their slick manner. And then inside the 20, there's a 10% that are truly dedicated. And uh, I I found that very insultive, but okay, we'll we'll take their word for it. And then they said, okay, so the problem with the church, so they're assuming there's a problem. Um, is that uh, we design our services uh, to focus on and minister to the 10%. And really, uh, it's it's the 80% that we should be concerned about, and we should be targeting the 80%. And so then they have these long explanations of how to target the 80%. And basically how you target the 80% is you become entertainers. That's that That's the... The summary of the thing, you know, make make your program really slick, make your music really cool, uh, make your coffee really great, uh, you know, do all the really awesome stuff so that the 80% uh, and, and here's their approach, it, the 80% will expand. OK, so 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 the, they're they're literally saying you're 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 wrong. Your approach is wrong. And uh, that uh, by focusing on the 10%, those that are truly dedicated to the service and the work of the ministry, you're, you're driving 80% away. Okay. So, so, so that, you know, and they go through these great explanations of, of, uh, you know, your heart is good and we appreciate what you're doing. But you know, if you want to build your church, you gotta, you gotta design your church for that 80% so that the 80% is continuing to grow all the time. Right. Not that it gets a percentage, but it's a bigger number of people because then you'll have a larger 20 and then you'll have a larger 10. OK. And, and then you'll be able to do more for the Lord. It, it sounds in a strange way 
uh, like there's a logic involved in that. But but how grateful are the 80% going to be when they're separated from Christ for eternity? And I have to answer them, right? When they're, when they're saying, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you confront me? Why didn't you help me grow? And I, you know, what am I going to say? Well, I wanted you to be comfortable, you know? And, and I wanted it to be fun for you. This, this is the mindset of the church growth movement. I, so much so, you guys, that <clears throat> there are a few organizations. When I say church growth movement, it's an actual group of organizations. If we want our church to be more people, we can contact them. They do a study of the demographic, and they'll tell you with a written guarantee, you sign a contract with them, uh, how much they can increase your church attendance, they'll come, they redesign you. They tell you what to preach. They tell you what to wear. They tell you where to locate your church. And, and they'll if you'll follow their leading, then they will increase your numbers. But they get a percentage. Okay? So it's a business. The whole thing, it's a business. And, and this is where they're going. Are you hearing Peter say right here, you're going to suffer? Right? He's saying, why do you think it's strange? Why, why are you perplexed by this? The world is going to hate you. You are going to suffer, right? You read through the daily promises, and, and very often people don't you know, realize, you know, they're looking for the, where's the one that says I'm going to be prosperous where's the one that says i'm going to be happy where's the one that says i'm just going to be fun where's the one that's going to say i'm not going to be depressed i want all of the ones that are you know positive affirmations uh where you know when paul is saying we despaired of life right these are promises i'm not saying they're fun promises these are guarantees that we're going to experience these things that our faith is going to lead us into hardships. There are going to be difficulties. If we don't have that mindset, right? You know, flip the thing around a little bit and think about this, right? You know, what is it like uh, to be a person that's, you know, a little bit more mature, who understands life a little bit better, who knows, you know, how to work hard, and now you've been partnered with, you know, I don't mean to be insultive, but a younger person who doesn't have a handle on any of those things. And you're in a setting where it requires a great deal of effort and you're like constantly having to urge them forward and to embrace the work, you know? So it is within the faith. If we are are encouraging and designing a, a, a system of church that is is designed around human comforts that then uh, you know what is going to need to get done within each one of us within our communities within the kingdom is going to fall by the wayside it needs to be that we understand this isn't a strange thing you know why do you think it's strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you verse 13 but rejoice to the extent you are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. When his glory is 
revealed, right? I have often said uh, that within Christianity, we're making promises to the congregation as though what we're doing in the kingdom is about the paycheck. Week to week, day to day, you know, if you do this, God's going to bless you over here. If you give, then you're going to get. If you, you know, it's all it's all about the here and the now. And and I've said all along the way, and I I think I'm deriving it correctly from the scripture that the entirety of our faith is about the retirement program, right? It is it is not about uh, the paycheck that, that what we're experiencing moment to moment, day to day, right? Because that's going to be tough. That's going to be really hard. We're we're in First uh, Peter chapter four, guys. Uh, we're on around verse 13. So, um, you know, the, the difficulty facing this, you know, understanding this is what we are going to experience is, is trials. And he even here puts it as fiery trials, right? This, this isn't like, uh, you know, sometimes we think of a trial as, you know, uh, some frustration. These, these people were suffering immensely for their faith uh, you know m- much like much of the world is suffering for their faith around us you know places like Iran places like China places where you know people are paying for their faith with their lives that that's the type of suffering the church of this time was experiencing this this wasn't uh, you know just, you know, the, the frustrations of, uh, you know, I, I talked to certain Christians and, um, uh, well, I won't even describe where, but I, a few years ago I was having conversation with Christians, uh, and, um, they're saying, uh, well, I, I've just stopped going to church. And, and I say like, like that, why, why would you stop going to church? Well, I tried out a few around here. But they're they're just they're terrible churches, and so okay. Well, what do you mean by terrible churches? And they described to me, and I think, well, that that's that really is a terrible church, you know. As they they explained to me the nonsense that was going on, and I said, well, wait a minute, I, isn't there a really good church right over there? And they, yeah, but that's twenty minutes away. Twenty minutes. Oh, twenty minutes. Wow, that's uh, that's tough, you know. And and um, you know, therein. As I talk to them, they they are living in an environment uh, where the population is so big, right, that they can choose the job that they, uh, you know, is best going to benefit them within a 10-minute drive. They're not going to take a job that's 20, 25 minutes away, Uh they're not gonna grocery shop any more than seven minutes from the house. So the, the, their population, the area where they live, is so big that that for all of them, the, the the mindset of the community is like, why in the world would I drive twenty minutes anywhere for anything? That's their mindset. And, and so to drive, you know, I'm saying, well, that's just the one I'm talking about. It's just thirty five minutes away, and they literally slump like. Thirty-five minutes, you know, just like that—that's too much for them, you know. So, so, you know, it's all kind of relative, right? You know, you have people in Vietnam 
you know, in China that are walking three hours, walking three hours, one direction, and and the entire travel is done secretly in order to get to a place where 300 of them are packed into a basement with a single light bulb hanging from the ceiling where they sing their hearts out to the Lord, just shake the place with the volume for their love for Christ, and then they sit and listen to a two-and-a-half-hour message from their pastor and then sing their hearts out again for another hour before they walk three hours back to where they're going. You know, the fiery trials, you know, it's important that we understand how weak we are sometimes. Uh, it's it's a tragic thing that we're so self-centered as Christians. Uh, you know, the, the message of Christ is entirely others-centered, like we talked about last week. It's about serving others. And if it if it causes me the most mild twinge of discomfort, then you know the American church goes, oh "Boy, I gotta seriously consider whether I can even be involved in that," because somehow it, it isn't providing an absolute comfort. It, it isn't something that completely appeals to my flesh. You know, it's it's confrontational in some way. Why do you think it's strange? that you're experiencing fiery trials. Peter is saying that that that's that's the norm. That's what you should be expecting. You know, I uh, recently having a conversation about uh, the work ethic of, you know, a younger generation and uh, I've 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 been on many job sites and I've noticed that a lot of guys that look like they're really strong have no endurance whatsoever. You know, they, they go to the gym every morning and work out and they get them into shape. Yeah, they have a shape, right, that looks fit. Now put them in an environment where you've got a dog all day and just, oh, you know, they're swooning within, you know, 90 minutes. They can't hardly stand. What we're going through, you know, how long are we going to be doing this? You know, 15 more hours, I don't know, you know, really. And, and they can't handle it. You know, I, I mean, I've been with others that, that are, you know, real men, got real grit, can actually go through. Uh, but there, there is an image that is portrayed that doesn't match what's really on the inside. Christianity needs to get used to the idea of difficulty. And, and there's much more difficulty coming ahead of us. And it's going to separate, you know, even amongst the ladies, the men from the boys. You know, those that have real strength and those that don't, spiritually. It's, it's going to challenge us all. Why do you think it uh, difficult? Why do you think that this is some abnormal thing. Uh, how about this? To run parallel, it may seem a little out of place. You're, you're familiar with Mark chapter 8, beginning at verse 32, where 
it says he spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him, Jesus, aside and began to rebuke him. Uh, but when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of, of men. That What that was about, right, was Jesus saying, I'm going to be betrayed and persecuted and crucified. And Peter steps in and says, that cannot happen. And Jesus says, you're the devil. And you can get behind me right now. Right? One moment, literally, Jesus is saying, man, Peter, you're a sharp, spiritually observant guy who's attuned to the Holy Spirit. If you're capable of recognizing I'm the Christ, right? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but the Holy Spirit. Well done. Good job. Nice. You get the gold star. And the next moment, you know you're a devil, right? Why? Because Peter is saying, we will have no suffering here. There will be, there will be no betrayal. There will be no persecution. There will be no crucifixion for you. And Jesus says, man, you really, you really are from hell, aren't you? Think about that, you guys, right? <clears throat> the, low, the, the road of least resistance, right? Tell me, tell me you haven't spent quite a bit of time cruising that highway, just taking the easy path, you know, very easy to get on with everybody else, just go the same direction, you know. Tell one another you're all individuals and rebels as you all do the same thing, you know. Yeah. Rebellion, the only true rebellion today is being a Christian. That's the, that's the only position of going the opposite direction of everyone else to stand up and say no. Think about how strong that resistance has gotten you know there was a time where you could sort of say no that's not how i believe you say that now somebody is likely to blast the bark right off from you right maybe put you in handcuffs and throw you out of the meeting that's the junk that's going on right now you you stand up and say no no there's only two genders And watch and see if they don't censor you, right? I mean, this could be taken off in SoundCloud before the end of the day for my just having said that. You know, Facebook, Twitter, you know, that, that <laughs> the term woke we're hearing so much all the time. That's, that's nothing more than intellectual intolerance. That's what that is. Right? They say, oh, you're really intolerant. Really? You seem really intolerant of my intolerance. <laughs> I'm not allowed to say anything. The only thing I'm allowed to say is whatever you say I'm allowed to say. That that's where we've come to in our culture. Now, I, I uh, 
A number of years ago, we went to the Inside Out Soul Festival uh, at uh, Loon Mountain, Lincoln, New Hampshire. It changed just a couple of years later and became the Soul Fest, and they moved it over to Gunstock, right? But there at Loon Mountain in Lincoln, New Hampshire, there's a, a big river that flows by the front of the ski resort where they were having the festival, and they let us swim there. You know, they'd have downtimes, and we were camping, doing a bunch of stuff. Take the teenagers down, teach them a very powerful lesson about the power of water and how, you know, when you're – this river's moving so fast that when you're up to your ankles – you can feel, wow, that's like, that is trucking. You get to your knees and already you're thinking like, I need to be careful of my step and where I am. You know, you get to your hips and that water and it becomes an issue of very dangerous, very close attention. If your feet come out from underneath you, you're going to be a long ways down the river before you even get your feet back to the ground. Okay, If you can't swim, you should not be in this river. Right? You know, the, the younger guys and I, we're doing things like lay down in the water, hang on to the rock, and it just stretch you right out, flat. Let go, and you're, you're literally 50, 100 yards down before you could get to the edge and start getting your feet underneath you again. A lot of work to get back up to your friends. The world is pushing one direction very powerfully. If you do not have a firm foundation spiritually, it will sweep you off your feet and take you places you never intended. Right? The trials that we are under take strength that isn't isn't even human you, you need to more be upon the vessel of Jesus Christ and then let him plow up through all of that and carry you to where you belong you can't handle these things in and of yourself the the fiery trials the direction the world is going verse 14 if you are reproached for the name of Christ. Blessed are you. Jesus said the same thing, Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are you when they revile you, persecute you, and say all thing, kinds of things against you falsely, right? Peter does that here a couple times, and he's going to do it again. Let's make sure that your persecution is for doing right, not for being a jerk. There's a whole bunch of people within Christianity that do that. They, they, they're arrogant, they say ridiculous things, they say very hurtful things, they attack the world. Listen, I'll put this out there, okay? The church gets confused about who it's supposed to rebuke and who it's supposed to correct. I'll just put it in a generalized way for you to think about. If someone is filthy, rotten sinner of the world and they're trying to come into the church, open the door wide. Okay? Grab a hold of them and pull them in as lovingly as you possibly can. Accept them in all of their wretchedness. Accept them. If they're in the church and they're acting the hypocrite, and you recognize 
that they're putting on a show and they're completely fake. Listen, it's time for them to go. And that's exactly how Jesus handled, handled people. The church has it exactly backwards. Exactly backwards. Oh, well, we can't kick him out. He's a deacon. We can't, we can't get rid of her, right? She's part of the women's club, fellowship, whatever thing it is. We will keep them in their rottenness in our midst and let them pollute the entirety of the body of Christ and spread their cancer, their spiritual cancer, in the body. They leave that bad thing in place. But, right, the heathen who's trying to depart from the world, who's filthy rotten, who's trying to get in the door, they bar the door for them. You're not accepted here. You're not welcome here. Turn around right now. Go out the door. They, they leave the things in place that should be dealt with, right? And, and they kick out the things that should be welcomed in. Christ purified us. Tell me this. How were you when you came to Christ? Were you all squared away, right? Were you doing wonderful? Look at the one that Christ has in your life right now. Look at them. Chances are they're probably doing better than you were. Right? Bring them in. Make them comfortable. Let them sit down. Let Christ wash them, cleanse them, wash their feet. Be so think think about the way Jesus dealt with sinners. Right? So kind, so gracious, so patient. Who did he who did he attack, right? Religious leaders who were false. Those who were complete hypocrites within the body of Christ. Woe unto you, he would say. You know, call, call them devils to their face. Sons of the devil. Murderers to their face. Cast them out. Shun them. Throw them off. You know, the drunkard, the tax collector, the prostitute. Right? Bring them right in. You know, let them sit right down. Wash his feet. Care for him. Anoint him with oil. He loved them. He was kind to them. He was gracious to them. You know, you got to really understand, right? Woman comes. She's she's washing his feet. She's anointing him with oil. And, and, and there is the religious leader saying, if this guy was a prophet, he would know who this woman is and he would have nothing to do with her. And Jesus begins to rebuke him and say, Right, she's been forgiven much. I'm paraphrasing the whole thing, and that's why she loves me so much. She's she's kissing my feet. She's she's bathing me uh, with her tears. She's anointing me with oil. You've given me no oil for my head, which was common when you would arrive at a wealthy person's house. Perfume is essentially what they would do, right? Hygiene was a difficult thing in the day. So here's a little anointing oil, please. So you know. You'll be pleasant for everyone else that's here, and everyone else will be pleasant for you. You'll smell good. We'll smell good. It'll be a, a wonderful experience. Uh, kissing them upon greeting, you know, left and right cheek. No greeting of kiss. No anointing of oil. And yet this one at his feet, who is, a, is presently a filthy, rotten sinner, Jesus is saying, this one loves me, and I love her. 
the Lord, you know, wants us to make sure that we, if we're going to suffer, we're doing it because of our goodness. If if you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you on their part. He is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as murderers, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. If, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Let him glorify God in this matter. It's odd, but uh, you know, not entirely inappropriate to say, if if you have been persecuted for Christ, it's it's good, it's okay of you to testify about that. It brings glory to God, right? To say that people have hated you, and said terrible things about you, and struck you, and spit upon you. It is good that you bear testimony to these things. We, we've had we've had all of those things happen to us here in the time that we've been here, literally struck and spit upon and accused and even had our lives threatened for just declaring the gospel. You know, I, I mean, literally, you know, people calling me up, telling me they're coming to my house, kill me, my wife, my three daughters. I said, really, is your name, you know, so-so at this number might not want to call me while you're drunk <clears throat> he said you stay right where you are police will be there in just a minute they called me from his living room a few minutes later and said we got mr so-and-so sitting here in handcuffs what do you want us to do to him i said is he a serious threat and they said probably not he does have firearms, but he's just drunk. I said, scare the stuffing out of him. And then leave him alone. <clears throat> and that's what they did. Uh, persecuted for Christ's sake. For what? In that case, that was me standing up and saying, no, we are going to oppose the homosexual community in this region. We do not think that they need special rights. They're already protected by the law and don't need any further or greater protection than the rest of the citizens in this state. Right? Yeah, they, if you punch anybody in the face, you're going to jail. It shouldn't be that if you punch a homosexual in the face that you get more time. Okay? That's special rights. That's special protection. Equal law is, is what, listen, our Constitution calls for that, but equal law came from God's law given to Moses so that certain citizens didn't have special protections and other citizens have less protections. We, we shouldn't be granting anybody, anybody, special protections. You know, well, it's a hate crime. Isn't all crime hate? I'm, I'm just wondering. You know what I'm saying? I mean, do you punch people in the face that you don't hate? I don't. I'm, like, how does that go? You know what I'm saying? Hey, good to see you, smack. I don't know what is that. The the, the the confusion of our culture. 
you know, and now, you know, I'm, I was getting threatened. My family was being threatened. Suffering for Christ's sake. You know, meeting with people downtown. Uh, talking to them about that very matter. And here comes one of their group literally spitting on us, shoving us into the side of vehicles, yelling, screaming vulgarity at us. You're going to have to stand up for Christ, and if you're thinking that it's all going to be fun, it's not. That's minor compared to what's coming. Compared to what the rest of the body, I mean, I don't even dare compare that to what the rest of the body of Christ is dealing with, right? In China, if if you worship Jesus Christ, they find out about it, they'll put you in prison, and you'll you'll be a slave to their manufacturing industry while you're in prison, and they'll bulldoze your home, and they'll bulldoze the rest of your family's home. Your, your mother, your father, your uncles, your aunts. They'll teach the whole community the lesson. Do not worship Jesus Christ as this one did. It will cost your family everything. It's not, it's not even right for me to compare my suffering with that kind of suffering. There's more coming the days are ahead of us. If you're thinking, like, I've not signed up for this. If you accepted Christ, then you signed up for this. This is the persecution that our enemy has for the body of Christ. We've had it so comfortable for so long. Let Christ comfort your heart. Trust him through these processes. They blaspheme. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. For if it begins with us, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And now if the righteous one scarcely is saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Righteous one scarcely saved. Because we're saved by grace. <laughs> it isn't a matter of, boy, you just made it. <clears throat> it's a matter of all your goodness did not account to any portion of your salvation. Christ saved you by his grace. That's it. That's it. That's what you're saved by. That's what everyone is saved by. Right? <clears throat> You know, everybody, Mother Teresa, right, and all her great work, which was amazing, right? If she saved, was saved by the grace of God. The thief at the cross, who at the last minute said, I'm a screw up, please save me. Same grace. It's the grace of God. Billy Graham, thief at the cross. Grace of God. Uh, the, the measurement is not you. The measurement is Christ. The judgment has to begin in the house of God. We are the ones that need to repent, right? Uh, uh, people quote that verse very often. You know, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. You know, uh, yeah, that, that's a great verse, and we should be mindful of that verse. But then. Everyone turns that around and says, so the world needs to repent. 
It's believers that need to repent, according to that verse. Right? It is the, it is the church. It is the body of Christ. Right? If those people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked way, right? Then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. You you want the healing? To, it has to start with us. It has to start with the church. Uh, I'll point again. Barna, uh, a handful of years ago, uh, put out the statistics that said all of the areas of sin and vice that we so commonly point to are identical within the church as they are without the church. Drug, drug addiction amongst Christians, same as the world. Alcoholism amongst Christians, same in the church as in the world. Right? Well, the one that was startling, and Barna does a little research, because adultery, divorce, the same in the church as in the world. The one that was slightly high, higher was abortion in the church, slightly higher than in the world. And at first they were startled with, like, how in the world could that be? And then what they discovered is that it was the hypocrisy. The world was actually slightly more honest in, I, I'm, I've been sexually promiscuous and an unwanted pregnancy has resulted from it, and I will just live with the consequences where the church said, no, let's cover it up, and they had an abortion. Well, you know, when we read these things, let's make sure, right, that the repentance starts in the house of God. I got no room to point into your house. I got to look in my own heart. I got to look in my own house and make sure that that's going on. Make sure that that's where I'm at. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Listen, uh, you know, what's the greatest degree of persecution that could ever be committed against you? Murder, right? They could kill you for your faith. If they're going to do that, if that's going to be the worst thing, then you are trusting your creator with your very life. Do you trust the Lord with your life? That's what we're talking about. That's what you need to examine. You know, we, we say faith, but do you trust the Lord with your life? Then do you trust him with your friendships? Do you trust him with your relationships? Right? Because we'll say, oh, I trust God. If they kill me, then so be it. But I couldn't possibly suffer through loneliness. So I befriend the world. You're saying you trust Christ with your life, and yet we don't trust Christ with our day-to-day -day life sometimes. Consider. Consider what's being said, right? If you can trust him all the way to literally your breath then that means everything between here and your last breath also belongs to him. Make sure that that's what's in your own heart, right? I'm not looking at you thinking that I've seen some flaw and I'm criticizing you. I'm looking at myself saying, is that really where I'm at? Let's each examine our own heart and see where we're really at. 
Now, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, he says, The elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Now, before we move on, I just want to clarify elder. Because uh, there is some confusion within the body of Christ about pastor, elder, deacon. Okay? And uh, there are those that want to say, right, elders are all the same, and pastors are just elders, and so the elders should have as much say and influence and sway as the pastor. Well, listen, you would not believe the degree of confusion that that creates inside the church. I think we all understand, right, that there needs to be, and I'll just say this, in every setting there needs to be singularity of leadership right no you get the whole family in the car if everyone's driving the opinions from the back seat might matter and they maybe need to be heard and they may need to be used by the one who's in control of the wheel but there needs to be one person driving. Okay? I think you would also agree at times that the opinions from the back seat are useless. And in fact, should not be heard at all. Right? No? You think I'm just being cute? How about the times where what's in front of the driver is very dangerous and require the undivided attention, right? No, I don't just mean confusing about where's the off-ramp, what direction should I be going. I'm talking about dangerous. There are times where the driver alone should be the only one thinking through the process and handling the entirety of where everyone's going. No one else should be engaged in it. We live in this culture that thinks everyone's opinion matters. And honestly, a lot of the time, it doesn't at all. God designed the church to be broken up in, and there's many, many different ways that I can prove this to you. He designed the church to be broken up into fellowships. And that within those fellowship, there should be a single leader. And that that leader should have the assistance of other leaders. That's, that's Jesus Christ's design. Okay, Biblically, the two examples I'll just set out for you right now, and then I'll try to move on. Jesus, head of the twelve, right? The 12 contribute and they're involved in the ministry and they do the work of the ministry. And then there was the greater group of 72, 70, depending which gospel you read, right? 72 that went out and served, right? Raised the dead, healed the sick, fed the hungry, ministered the gospel, 72. There was also a larger group of 120 that was with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry to the end. Right? Reduce it backwards a little bit. You've also got Peter, James, and John. 
that saw and experienced things that no one else did. But Jesus was the head of that. That's the New Testament example. Jump back to the Old Testament. Moses. Right? And his father-in-law comes and says, it's not good that you're doing this alone because you're going to do two things. You're going to wipe yourself out and you're going to wipe the people out. You're going to exhaust everyone in, in being the only leader. So you need to appoint elders to help you. And then we get the very specific explanation of you're going to have those that are in charge of small groups. They're only qualified to handle groups down to like 10 and then upward to 50, and then hundreds, and then thousands. And when it has moved up through that authority, you've got something that needs a decision made, and the small group leader can't, and the larger group leader can't, and then the largest group leaders can't make a decision on that, then they can bring it to you. And you can be the finality of that decision. The world doesn't like this because they feel like, oh, my opinion doesn't matter, and I only want to be involved in a ministry where my opinion matters. Well, usually if you're thinking that way, I wish you would go find that ministry. Usually. But that's not actually how it is within the kingdom, right? Do we agree that everything within the kingdom is backwards? You want to live, you must die, right? You want to be the greatest, then you've got to become the least, it isn't that one person is at the top of all things. It's that one person supports all things. That's how the kingdom is. There's a lot of weight that rests upon the shoulders of the man who is that final decision. There's a lot of responsibility there. Peter here referring to elders is not talking about a broad spectrum of all of you guys just work together and make the decision. And guy, He's talking about there's an elder over at that church and there's a pastor, a pastor over that church. There's a pastor over that church. There's a pastor over that church. One. He clarifies it within this. And we shouldn't be confused by this thinking like, yeah, I want to be an elder because then I'll be able to overrule the pastor. And there are people that think like this, and it creates massive problems. Massive problems. So here he says, Elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, right? When you shepherd a flock, there's one shepherd who tells the under-shepherds what to do. Right? Okay, you, shepherd number two, I want you to take that portion of the flock and go over to that field, and you over there, and you over there, and at the end of the night, we'll all come back here. One shepherd is directing the whole thing. It isn't, it isn't that. All of the shepherds go, well, I don't really like that. I was in that field last week and I didn't like it, so I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna stay here. You go over there. No, there's one, right, that is the overseer. And as each of these flocks are broken up into their group, here's a flock over there, there's a flock over there, there's a flock over there. Then there is a singular shepherd who controls all of that. Leadership is necessary. Necessary. 
this whole idea uh, of you know what is become known as the shepherding movement within Christianity was tragic. Created so many problems. People controlling other people. You know, it's just it gets really weird. Here, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion. Don't really want to be a shepherd, but they made me. No, if your heart's not in it, then you shouldn't be a shepherd. Right? I was almost a brain surgeon, but I ended up here. You know, Go be a brain surgeon. If you do not have a heart to serve the flock, the body of Christ, then you shouldn't be in that position. Right? It's, it's going to be, we just went from the suffering to this discussion. There's a great deal of effort that's involved in this. Not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly dishonest gain. Okay, uh, There should be payment made to those that are overseers. The dishonest gain is what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, just take a little bit more every now and then. Uh, I don't think so. I was so embarrassed a number of years ago. I was listening to a questions and answers panel, and one of the pastors said, well, as a tax-exempt organization, I just keep whatever cash comes in, and I'm not required to report that. Quickly, quickly a group of other pastors converged upon him and took him out of the room and taught him, number one, the biblical principle, and number two, the legal responsibility. Okay? You don't get to take dishonest gain, and yet there are so many, you know. Let's just say that in that case, he was misinformed. We'll, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt, okay? But, but how about the ones that are, you know, just robbing the body of Christ in order to enrich themselves. It's outrageous. Again, I'll encourage you to, you know, download TikTok and then, you know, look up preachers and sneakers. Yeah, that's pretty ridiculous. You know, every week this guy assembles... Uh, different preachers and what they're wearing. And he goes through the process of verifying that this shirt, designer shirt that this man is wearing is $6,000. These jeans are $1,200 and these sneakers are $10,000. And next week he's in a different outfit. And the following, and, the, and there's a list of them. There are a few that he focuses on uh, because they do this every single week, and there are others that he just periodically puts in. Are you looking up preachers and sneakers right now? So please do. It'll appall you. It will appall you. Dishonest gain. Okay? Dishonest gain. It is supposed to be that you're doing it out of a willingness of heart, that you desire to do this, that it isn't for. If someone receives pay, praise God. If they don't receive pay, praise God, right? That they have a willingness of heart. It needs to be that the one who would function as an overseer does it from a willingness of heart. 
They want to do it. Their greatest desire is to serve, you know, doing it eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Probably most of us have experienced some pastor along the way that thinks he's lord somebody, you know, barks orders, sits around. A number of years ago, we had a young man come to this church, and he was astonished, astonished that I was the pastor. Came here looking for the pastor, and when he came to realize I was the pastor, he was blown away. Not that I'm special, not that I'm great, because he had been raised in and come from churches where the pastor was the Lord. Waited upon, hand and foot, every moment. Just, you know, literally he was telling me of occasions where uh, the pastor walked to the door and just stand at the door because no one was opening it for him. Until, oh, somebody realized and jumped forward and pulled the door open. Without even thanks, just stepped through. Can't even reach out his own hand and open the door. You know, have uh, dinners and things of that nature. Would not sit with the rest of the congregation set separately, had people bring him food, serve him, had a waiter there waiting upon him. Anything that he needed, they went and got, brought it back to him. And the whole congregation knew this to be this way, thought it was good, right, and proper, and waited on the pastor this way. If he needed or wanted things, he would just inform them. And I mean like, come to my house this week and cut my grass. And, you know, go get my car and bring it around front. And, you know, in fact, take it and go get an oil change. And, and so this young man comes here and is just blown away. Now, you know, he, he had left Christianity for a period of time because of that. And when he came here, he was getting right with the Lord, but he fully expected that he was going to come here and find a pastor that was doing similar things. Because in his mind, that's what a pastor was. That's what a pastor did. I was astonished to find out that the denomination he belonged to, that's how they treated all their pastors. And that's why he thought all pastors were that way. Servants around them. So we'll be adopting that next week. We'll be Ridiculous, isn't it? To consider. Not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Examples in all things, in any way that we can. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. There is a, a shepherd over us all. You know, while there are overseers within the church, there is one who shepherds all of us, and we must give account to him, we must answer to him. Likewise, your younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes. All of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Yeah, okay, so the younger people are called to submit to their elders, show respect, but then he quickly adds to that, and everyone should submit to one another. There should be an air and an attitude of humility. If our Lord humbled himself, surely we must also. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Remarkable that he cares for us. 
remarkable. I, I have often quoted Joe Foch that has, you know, has said, of course God loves you. God is love. He's compelled to love you. What's remarkable is that he likes you. <laughs> it's astonishing that he actually likes us and wants to care for us. Verse 8, be sober, just as it says. Okay, It does have the idea of being serious, but it is literally the idea of not being intoxicated. It is the idea of seriousness, but also don't get intoxicated. Why? Be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, right? If I told you that the lion had escaped the zoo next door, and there is a lion in the zoo next door, if, if the lion escaped the zoo next door, and he's just roaming around, he's probably, uh, last we knew, he was on the property, you know, like right now you'd probably get up and close the window just for the thought of the possibility. You're definitely not going to be getting tanked and just staggering around outside. You know, well, it's a warm evening. You know, the weather's not as cold as it's been. Just wanted to get some fresh air. I know there's a lion out here, but, you know, that's just such a nice night. <laughs> You're not going to treat life that way. And yet, I think you understand that illustrative picture, too. There are people within the faith that do treat it like that. No big deal. They don't take any care. They don't have any regard for the danger that is in your environment. Resist him. Steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Doesn't that sound like a nice cluster of things you would want to have happen? That you could get to the place where you say, okay, now perfect, don't misunderstand. It's the idea of completed. Right? It's not the idea of flawless. So wouldn't it be great to say, yeah, I know that I am completed. I'm, I am established. I am strengthened and I am settled. If we will have this diligence and this faithfulness and go through the sufferings that Christ has planned for us, right? That, that might sound cruel. Yeah. It was Benjamin Franklin that first coined the phrase, no pain, no gain. Okay, you've got to go through difficulties to get strong. If, if you don't go through difficulties and you're just always as weak as you've ever been, right? Any of us that have suffered injury know, right, that it's the physical therapy that actually is the worst part. It's the getting strong again. Yeah, yeah, knit up, fine. But the getting strong again is part of the most, you know, the difficult part. We, we need to recognize what the Lord wants to do in developing us. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Remember that when you look around and think, has God lost control? <laughs> I watch the evening news and the world is just spun. Yep, it is. It is. God is still on the throne. 
These things are still within his grasp. He has not lost his grip. So, uh, by Salvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. Uh, Sylvanus uh, here authoring. Uh, at times uh, you, know, you have others that uh, write and bring the messages. Now, verse 13, She who is in Babylon elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark my son. In this region of uh, Persia in Babylon where they are writing to them, uh, there's a lot of debate over who is the she who is in Babylon. And I think the way it's written tells us plainly that he's talking about the church. It may have been an individual, and there's big debate about that. Uh, but the idea, you know, elect together with you. You know, you as a body are part of the body of Christ uh, as a fellowship. You know, he's writing to them. You're collectively together as, as she who is in Babylon elect together with you, greet you. And so does Mark, my son, that is in the faith, right? John Mark writes with Peter the gospel of Mark. So here, John Mark uh, writing with him, greet one another with a kiss of love, uh, right? Today we have a holy handshake. It's not you know, the, the standard greeting of the Middle East, even now, is most prominently that Middle Eastern kiss of left and right cheek. You know, grab the forearms and kiss to the left and to the right and the hug and the embrace. It's the idea of you should have that warm affection, that, that warm greeting, the, the embrace of one another. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. And I'll just close with this concept, right? We often you know, have the Christmas card that says, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Okay, well, really, what was said was peace on earth to men of goodwill. Okay, the goodwill was referring to the gospel message. Uh, you know, we got this... You know, 60s hippie thing, like, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. <laughs> That's not what God meant at all. Men of goodwill, in regard to the gospel, will experience the peace that God provides. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you're not going to know peace. Uh, you know, this whole concept, like, oh, we just need to all get along, hold hands, sing kumbaya, it'll be wonderful. That's a great concept if there weren't psychopathic murderers amongst us. Planet Earth is a very violent place. It's a very dangerous place. Within the body of Christ, those that have submitted themselves to the authority and the power of Jesus Christ, His Holy Spirit, the gospel message, those are the men and women of good will. And they are the ones that will experience peace on earth. And what, what do we do? We try to go out and bring people into that gospel message. And as we do, they will also experience peace. Without it, they will not. We, we right, if I say we are the saviors of the world, maybe that's a little too arrogant, right? Uh, but Jesus said you're the salt of the earth. We are the preservatives. 
We are the ones who keep the rot and the decay from happening. We need to be out there with this message, presenting it to the world, that the world could experience the peace that Jesus Christ has promised us. Amen? Amen. So, we'll pick up with 2 Peter next week. Will you stand with me and we'll pray? Father God, we are so grateful for your love and your grace, and we ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and help us to walk in fellowship with you. Lord, I selfishly pray for my granddaughter again and these issues with her kidney that she's going through and just ask that you would heal her, guide the doctors, preserve in that situation, be with my wife as she's there. I think of so many others who are suffering, Lord. Contact from Ken today as he's with a person who is dealing with hospice right now. Just ask that you'd be gracious and kind to those, Lord, that we are in contact with, that we love, that we are praying for. Help us to be men and women who are close to you, who bring these requests into your presence that your hand would touch and affect and accomplish what we were asking for. Watch over us, keep us, guide us until we are together again. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.